People of Palestine join together in a historic general strike as occupying Israeli forces relentlessly bomb Gaza and the international labor community rises up to support their struggle against apartheid and settler colonial terror. Plus, McDonald's workers in 15 cities go on strike demanding a $15 minimum wage. Every day, Workers across the globe are rising up to defend their humanity and fight for their dignity on the job. In a time of both record poverty and record profiteering, the billionaire bosses have created the circumstances for workers to lose their fear and demand everything that they deserve. As the class struggle advances, the stories of workers are front and center here. This is On the Picket Line, and I'm your host, Monica Cruz. You just heard the voices of dock workers in South Africa taking part in a solidarity march after refusing to unload cargo from an Israeli ship to stand with the people of Palestine. And Palestinians across Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem took part in a historic strike this past Tuesday to protest the recent onslaught of Israeli airstrikes and a wave of terror waged by Israeli settlers. While a ceasefire has been called, the struggle to free Palestine is far from over. As my colleagues here on Breakthrough News have done extensive reporting on the attempted ethnic cleansing of the Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, the horrific attack on worshipers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque during the Eid holiday, and the relentless bombing of Gaza has set off a historic movement of resistance against the settler colonial Israeli state. Workers across historic Palestine came together in an unprecedented general strike calling for an end to the violence from the apartheid regime. The strike was called by various organizations in Palestine and workers including those with the General Union of Palestinian Teachers, the Transportation Workers Union, the Palestinian Bar Association, the Forum of Arab Nurses in Israel, and many others took part in the strike. I spoke with Hadil Shatara, coordinator of Samadun Palestine and one of the lead organizers of the general strike across historic Palestine. Here she is speaking on the profound unity demonstrated in the strike on Tuesday. I spoke with her on the day it took place. For us to unite for the first time in a while, to get over all the political um, burdens and political situation, and to unite over one strike was very important um, today. Um, what we saw today is people in Haifa and Ramallah in Jerusalem and Gaza are all on the same uh, uh, 
we're all standing in the same places, that we're all demonstrating in the streets, and we're all under the same uh, 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 slogan, which is a united Palestine from the river to the sea. So that was uh, the important part of it. And the, and the number of people who were out in the streets was astonishing, actually. We haven't seen this in a, for, a whole, for a while now. Um, so um, today the demonstration in Ramallah actually, it's until now, the, the, the confrontations are still on until now. It started at 11 a.m. and it's still going on until now. That was Hadil Shatara, coordinator of Samadun Palestine and one of the lead organizers of Tuesday's general strike across historic Palestine. She went on to draw comparisons between the strike and the first intifada or uprising against the occupying Israeli forces back in 1987. So it was incredible to see everyone on the street. You've seen lawyers We've seen lawyers, doctors today, workers, many, many workers, and nurses. Everyone was on the street together today. And we haven't, this is uh, um, the main role of the unions. And first in Tifada in 1987, this is the scene that you would see in the streets. These unions, especially the worker unions, has led the popular resistance. So what we saw today is something uh, close to this, except that all uh, um, all unions has joined. Uh, the worker unions are not as strong as they were. So the workers joined by themselves because the representation of the worker unions is not like before in Palestine. Again, that was Hadil Shatara, coordinator of Samadun Palestine. I asked her to speak more about the role of Palestinian unions and workers throughout the decades of popular movement building to resist Israeli settler colonial violence. Here's what she described. Um, Actually, all the underground work was led by worker unions here in Palestine. So if you're talking about um, the 60s, 70s and 80s, the whole situation, the parties were new. So they were organizing in the parties and the parties started to uh, initiate unions. And we're talking here about the left parties, of course. Um, so the left parties started the worker unions and have joined it together. And the worker union was the place where all the meetings would happen, where all the uh, um, statements would be written, where all, everything that has to do with what's happening in Palestine would come from the worker unions. And the worker unions um, were actually not only working on the uh, um, political aspect, though it was really, really strong, but also they were working on the social and economic aspect. They would um, um, do the, uh, they would organize all the voluntary work. They would organize um, the illiteracy uh, teaching in the villages. So it was all led by different unions. You just heard Hadil Shatara, coordinator of Samadun, Palestine. Now, Tuesday's strike has been named the largest general strike to take place in Palestine since 1936, when Palestinians were living under the British colonial mandate. Under the Sykes-Picot Agreement of 1916, France and the UK had divided up large parts of the Middle East between themselves. 
The following year, the UK passed the Balfour Declaration, pledging its support for the establishment of a, quote, national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. As Hitler rose to power and began enacting discriminatory policies against Jewish people, thousands of Jewish Europeans moved to Palestine. British authorities confiscated land belonging to the indigenous Palestinians and handed it over to the new Jewish settlers. At this time, many Palestinians were farmers and their livelihood depended on their land. Impoverished and landless, Palestinians organized the massive general strike, which was brutally repressed by British authorities and Israeli settlers alike. People across the Middle East rose up in solidarity with Palestine, with notable campaigns in cities like Cairo, Beirut, and Damascus. Today, we see history repeating itself in some of these aspects. One thing in particular I'd like to highlight is the massive international solidarity we have seen with the struggle of Palestinians since this situation has begun to really heat up over the past week or so. This past Saturday marked the 73rd anniversary of the Nakba, or the catastrophe, in which upwards of a million Palestinians were violently expelled from their land in 1948. Millions hit the streets of cities across the globe, calling for an end to Israeli ethnic cleansing and solidarity with Palestinians in resistance. Many Palestinian organizers and those working in solidarity with their cause have stated that this was the largest outpouring of support for Palestine they had ever witnessed. We've also seen an unprecedented level of solidarity and resistance from organized labor across the world. Over the weekend in Italy, Unionized dock workers at the port of Livorno refused to unload a shipment containing weapons and explosives on its way to Israel. The union stated that the port would not be used as a, quote, accomplice in the massacre of the Palestinian people, end quote. And in Durban, South Africa on Thursday, Dock workers with the South African Trade and Allied Workers Union refused to unload cargo from an Israeli ship. National trade unions, including the International Dock Workers Council, the UK Cambridge Trade Union Council, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, the National Union of Metalworkers of South Africa, the Italian Metalworkers Union, and the French Labor Federation have all issued statements condemning the Israeli attacks and taking a stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Now, I want to emphasize including because these are just a few on the lengthy list of unions internationally who have pledged their support for Palestine and also important to note their support for the boycott, divest and sanctions or the BDS movement, a Palestinian led movement to challenge the Israeli occupation, which was inspired by the movement in South Africa to end apartheid. And turning to the U.S., there have been a few unions, mostly union locals, who have pledged their support for Palestine and BDS. 
just to name a few, the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America, the Unite Here Local 23, the Georgetown Alliance for Graduate Employees, the Teamsters Local 804, and most recently, as of this recording, the United Educators of San Francisco Assembly have all issued statements of solidarity with Palestine. To speak more on this issue of solidarity with Palestine from the U.S. labor movement, I spoke with Yasmin Zara, the chairwoman of U.S. Labor Against Racism and War. I asked her to give her take on the response from organized labor in the U.S. to the struggle in Palestine. Yeah, um, I'll just say, you know, very generously, there's there's definitely a lot of room for, for improvement. Um, we, we definitely have to give a shout out to the News Guild, um, which is the, the nation's largest union of journalists here in the, in the States. Um, they very recently condemned in the strongest possible terms um, the Israeli government's attack on the media building and on journalists in general. Um, the, the Washington Baltimore News Guild also put out a really strong statement condemning um, the attacks. There's a handful of locals who've, who've also followed suit, but you know it's, it's not enough. Um, and we need more unions to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Um, at my organization at Labor Against Racism and War, we are bringing together union members, uh, members of worker centers, community groups from um, all over the country to, to start coordinating strategy and, and take action together to, to do right by the international working class. You know, um, a lot of this, these struggles really come out of the rank and file. And so we're very excited to, to bring folks together on that front. That was Yasmin Zara, chairwoman of U.S. Labor Against Racism and War, speaking on the response from organized labor in the U.S. to the growing movement in solidarity with the people of Palestine. She went on to describe how the history of repression against the labor movement has played into the silence from major U.S. unions on the issue of Palestine. I think it's important for folks to understand the unique history of labor in the U.S. and, and also to know that the silence, it doesn't need to be the status quo and historically it hasn't been the status quo. Um, but in the United States, there is a long history of McCarthyism um, in the 40s and 50s where uh, left labor leaders were victims of just aggressive concerted attacks by politicians in both parties um, and their you know, big business owners. And um, through congressional investigations, grand juries, um, FBI surveillance, audits by the IRS, threats of deportations, um, legal attacks through the NLRB, through um, Taft-Hartley red baiting, really our, our principles and our ideology, our morals were very successfully purged from our unions. And honestly, to this day, we are very much still recovering from that period. Um, and, you know, the reason they went so hard after unions is there is a lot of power in a union, especially at the international level. That's why we need to be, you know, internationalists in our worldview, um, because we know the boss is international. Again, that was Yasmin Zara, chairwoman of U.S. Labor Against Racism and War. 
Now, in addition to the important history that she laid out, I think it's also critical to understand how much of the U.S. labor movement has literally invested in the settler colonial state of Israel and is supportive of its guiding ideology, Zionism, which argues that Jewish people can only live peacefully within their own ethno-state. This relationship between U.S. labor and Israel runs so deep that it's been referred to as labor Zionism. As public defender Michael Letwin, the co-founder of New York City Labor Against War, wrote in a 2015 article titled Labor for Palestine, Challenging U.S. Labor Zionism, In the height of the U.S. labor movement during the 1930s, majority of Jewish workers in unions were adamantly anti-Zionist. The formerly anti-Zionist Jewish Labor Committee was founded in 1934 to oppose Nazism and wrote that, quote, The great bulk of Jewish labor in the United States are of the opinion that the Jewish question must be solved in the countries in which Jews live and therefore must be solved as part of the more general question of readjusting the economic, political, social, and cultural life of our country to the needs of a new day, end quote. But by the 1940s, Unionists involved in the Zionist project in Palestine managed to win support from U.S. labor leaders. This new Zionist orientation in labor was, unsurprisingly, closely connected with the ideologies of U.S. imperialism, anti-communism, and racism against non-white workers in the American workforce. These now pro-Zionist labor unions went on to buy up huge amounts of Israeli state bonds, which unions, including the largest federation of American labor unions, the AFL-CIO, are still invested in today. The exact numbers of how much money is tied up in these bonds is largely unknown, as labor leaders have been particularly quiet about it. The most recent cumulative estimate can be found in an article in the Jewish weekly newspaper Forward in March 2002, which quoted the now-defunct National Committee of Labor Israel's director, estimating that, quote, the American labor community holds $5 billion in Israel bonds, end quote. A manual written up by the Jewish Labor Committee for pro-Israel lobby groups in 2008 advised that unionists, quote, do not discuss with union members, representatives of the press or others, guesstimates of the value of state of Israel bonds held by unions, end quote. I guess it's no surprise that leaders in labor and the Israeli lobby would prefer to keep hush-hush on how much of union member dues are going to bankroll settler colonial terror in Palestine. But this labor Zionism has not existed without resistance. In 1969, members of the League of Revolutionary Black Workers expressed their support for Palestine, linking the struggle for Palestinian liberation to that of the national liberation struggles across Latin America and in Vietnam. In 1973, 3,000 Arab auto workers in Detroit went on a wildcat strike 
to protest the decision by leaders of the United Auto Workers Local 600 to purchase a million dollars in State of Israel bonds. Decades later, in 2002, the largely black American Local 10 of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, or the ILWU, condemned Israel's attacks on the West Bank and called for the, quote, halt of all military aid to the state of Israel. And aside here that the ILWU Local 10 has a long history of internationalism. And in 1984, members famously protested apartheid when they refused to unload cargo from a Dutch ship which had arrived from South Africa. And more recently, during Israel's assault on Gaza back in 2014, a wave of union solidarity was ignited against Israel's largest cargo shipping company, Zim Integrated Shipping Services. A call by the Palestinian General Federation of Trade Unions was met with organizers launching the Block the Boat campaign. When the ship docked in the Bay Area, the ILWU Local 10 refused to unload it for four days, and actions in solidarity with them sprung up in cities including New York, Seattle, and Vancouver. No doubt inspired by these heroic actions, the United Auto Workers Local 2865, representing student employees across the University of California system, voted to ratify their leader's proposal to support BDS in December 2014, becoming the first American union to hold a membership vote on BDS. Months later, the United Electrical Workers adopted a similar resolution to support BDS. Both unions have issued strong statements in support of Palestine and reaffirming their support of BDS in the wake of this most recent onslaught of violence and terror from the Israeli settler regime. And real quick, back to the issue of the Israeli Zim shipping company. Amidst recent calls to boycott the company, it decided not to dock at the port of Oakland this week. To tie this all together, it's obvious that the tide is turning in a major way for the Palestine Solidarity Movement. At the time of this recording, Senator Bernie Sanders has announced his plan to introduce a resolution to cancel the recent $735 million in aid President Biden pledged to Israel last week. Congress members, including Cori Bush and Rashida Tlaib, made strong statements from the Congress floor emphasizing the human rights disaster in Palestine and calling for an end to U.S. aid to Israel. Figures in popular media and culture, including late-night show host John Oliver and famous model Bella Hadid, have joined in calls to speak out in favor of the Palestinians' right to exist and called Israel what it is, an apartheid state. This level of solidarity from high-profile politicians and cultural influencers alike, on top of this historic number of people taking the streets across the globe for Palestine, speaks to the massive shift in consciousness regarding this. I think it's clear as day that there has never been a better time for rank and file union members to demand accountability from their union leadership and organize in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Now to shift gears quite a bit, 
McDonald's workers across 15 different states went on strike on Wednesday, May 19th to demand a $15 minimum wage and demand their right to unionize. The strike was organized by the Fight for 15 movement, which has won raises for over 22 million low-wage workers across the states since its inception in 2012. Here's a clip of Nishan Blunt, a McDonald's worker in Durham, North Carolina, who took part in Wednesday's strike. Yo! Today is May 19th. You already know what time it is. We're going to be on strike today demanding that McDonald's give us a $15 minimum wage. The McDonald's I work at, we only make $9.20 an hour, which is not enough. And we're here in Durham, we'll be going to Guest Road soon to demand McDonald's that we get a $15 minimum wage. Tomorrow there will be the shareholders meeting where a bunch of billionaires come together to discuss how they'll distribute their profit. We're here to let you know today, McDonald's, we are your profit. We are the ones who make the, make the burgers, make the fries and everything inside the store. So it is not right that we get paid so little. Again, that was Nashawn Blunt, a McDonald's worker in North Carolina who took part in Wednesday's strike. Pressure from the Fight for 15 movement, supported by calls from a growing list of local and national politicians, have pushed America's largest fast food chains to raise their workers' wages. In a measure that can't be described as anything except an insidious PR move, McDonald's announced earlier this week that it would lift hourly wages to $15 in all non-franchise restaurants. Only 5% of McDonald's restaurants are owned directly by the corporation, so an overwhelming majority of their workers are still being left to work for poverty wages in many states. As the fast food industry and the restaurant industry overall continue to subject workers to unlivable wages and horrendous conditions on the job, the industry's leaders and lobbyists, backed by conservative policymakers, are blaming workers for refusing to work these terrible jobs. At least 21 states have introduced measures to end the $300 additional benefit through the federal government's unemployment program. Elite talking heads on Fox News and leaders in the Republican Party are making the argument that unemployment benefits are discouraging people without jobs from applying for employment. This has been coupled with meltdowns from leaders and lobbyists in the food and restaurant industry over the supposed quote unquote death of the American work ethic as the industry is struggling to hire workers who were laid off during the start of the pandemic last year. Frankly, the issue has never been about whether or not workers are willing to work. People are willing to work. They go to work every day. The issue is that this pandemic has exposed these crooked bosses for who they truly are. Capitalist stooges who do not care if their workers can afford to live or get sick because they're working in unsafe conditions during a global pandemic. It is common sense that workers would rather collect unemployment than work jobs that pay less than what they are receiving in these benefits and jobs that force them to put their lives on the line every day. There is no shortage of jobs. There is a shortage of jobs with dignity and a livable wage. And there is no shortage of workers willing to work 
But there is a shortage of workers willing to risk their lives for poverty wages. And that's it for this week's episode of On the Picket Line. Make sure to follow at BT Newsroom for the latest on Twitter and Instagram and search Breakthrough News anywhere else. Check out our Patreon for exclusive content. <laughs>